The Imprint Companion Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Imprint Films. Imprint Films is a brand new Australian boutique Blu-ray label. Check them out for limited edition deluxe Blu-ray releases of long-requested and previously unreleased films. Check out the past and future releases online at imprintfilms.com.au. You can follow Imprint Films on Twitter at imprint underscore films or one word on Instagram at imprint films, no space. And finally on the Facebook page at imprint films AU. Hello and welcome to Imprint Companion, the only podcast on the Australian internet about Australian DVD culture, specifically the new, finally, first ever Australian boutique Blu-ray label. I could not be more excited to talk about this. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos. I'm joined by a very dear friend of mine, Blake Howard. Alexi, I have yearned for a time that my voice could be recorded saying these words together, slip and case, and here we are. I could not be happier. This is this is my fa- one of my favorite projects we've ever embarked mm-hmm. upon. It is just a giant gushing love fest with you and I, and I'm super excited about, especially in the environment they're in right now, for an emerging yes. boutique Blu-ray label. Like I'm all about it. I love that there are physical media collectors out here who are as ravenous as us, and I'm just like, yes, I, I can't get enough. I'm scared to meet the ones that are more ravenous than us, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I've been dying to say slipcover. I've been trying to say dying to say transfer on a podcast before. You oh and I goodness. both have many, many podcasts, and I was worried about being bullied, about saying the word freaking slipcover for so long. <laughs> I've never said the word for boutique Blu-ray on a podcast before. <laughs> and he's giving me joy to give me life to finally say these things. But maybe we should introduce ourselves. Who are we to freaking talk about this sacred culture of blu-ray collecting and dvd culture <laughs> why are we the ones to be the best at doing this look i i'll i'll start with just a, a one small thing and then i'll i'll pass the baton back to you to share my very first job out of high school i was a dish pig and then i needed to get like a real job and with inverted commas a real job and my brother happened to work for village roadshow which oh, is wow. one of the biggest uh, yes. DVD and Blu-ray distributors in the country and movie and, distributors. I know we only and, talk, fi- and, we only and, talk and, physical and movie, media and movies, but but right here we're talking about movies, right? Like Blu-rays and DVDs, and they were they were um, there was a DVD and VHS warehouse, and that was one of my first jobs out of high school. I worked in that warehouse in the returns department. And so my entire life was packing boxes of DVDs and Blu-rays and VHSs onto pallets, sending them out to department stores all around this country. I literally, in the returns department, you get back like all of the stuff, like it's your whole life isn't a series of unboxings and reboxings and repackaging things. And so I was up close and personal with this for like my whole life. So, you know, home entertainment and experiencing movies at home has been like one thing, but another thing is like that tactile relationship with movies and like just being, you know, being thrilled and excited with stuff. And no one has ever cared except for the real like deep dark ones of us. But Mm -hmm. like I worked in that place when Tony Martin, comedian Tony (gasps) Martin's great Australian film, Bad Eggs was coming out and they messed up the order of the pamphlet that was in the DVD and it nearly canceled the entire release. I was in the warehouse that day when they made that call to just let it go with the wrong order. I was there in the warehouse when they made a brand new box 
for you are Indiana part of Jones. Australian DVD culture history, baby. I'm I'm right here, baby. I'm right on the front line with you. <laughs> I've been there since Indiana Jones wow. um, came out with its four four DVD at the time box set, and they had to build a new box. This like piss yellow, disgusting box that had twenty four box, you know, four DVD box sets in it. Um, so I'm excited. I'm so excited to be here, and I've loved that. You know. Streaming culture is super convenient, but there is nothing that scares me more than, say, them covering Daryl Hannah's ass with hair on Disney Plus and me never being able to see that took us again. And I I'm know. so excited that this is the podcast for us to never happen. We exactly. Own we own the secret took us on DVD and Blu-ray. It's a combo box, baby. <laughs> um, but also, I wouldn't just say that you're just a DVD collector and DVD fan of a rich history of DVD collecting and working in that industry. You're one of my favorite critics around. And of course, you're one of the great Australian podcasters. Uh, one Heat Minute, international sensation where you go through the classic movie Heat by Michael Mann, minute by minute, which concludes with what? I want you to say, and I want to hear you say with what it concluded with. It concluded with the man himself, Mr. Michael Mann, coming on for the final episode of the show mm. and not only indulging me in one of the greatest conversations one could ever have about the movie Heat, but he also indulged me with saying the final lines of the movie to one another to end the show, which wow. uh, could not have been better. Now, you've heaped praise upon me and uh, and my, my critical and podcasting <laughs> pursuits, but you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the only minute-by-minute podcast on the internet, I think it's fair to say. Mm -hmm. And I think it's even fairer to say that you are part, one half of, in fact, the only movie podcast on the internet. Total reboot. You're also (laughs) one half of the team, one half of the Woodstein team that did Finding Drago. And... And and just and so many other comedic film based pursuits. You are you mm. are royalty. And and, and oh, wow. this is a and this and this is an arranged marriage. Yes. For us. Finally. <laughs> just <laughs> finally. Finally. Just like the French uh the the French royal family, which we're going to encounter in uh imprint number five, uh mm-hmm. Waterloo later on in our discussion. Um but I, I'm I'm super excited about us uh finding a way to come together and an arranged marriage by no one else uh, no one none other than Maria Lewis, our, our dear yes, friend that's our dearest uh, has friend brought us together. Who would be totally ashamed of us at this point, I would say. <laughs> Absolutely. She is not listening to this show. She is no. not listening to this show. I can't There's imagine no her popping her earbuds and popping this on. Can't imagine that happening right now. <laughs> Uh, but I'm very excited to talk about this. Uh, my first job ever was working in uh, a DVD video store, a rental store awesome. called Mondo Movies in Annandale in Sydney, Australia. And it oh it's specialised in like art house and cult movies. So from like the age of 16 when I started working there, I was already obsessed with film. And I really threw myself in. They had like an amazing collection of like really rare stuff. And I think that's where I had already had like a small DVD collection. But from there, I was like, I love this tactileness. I like the idea of it feeling like an archive and feeling like a museum almost. And I always call like my collection the archive uh, because I think (laughs) of it as like just like, you know, I'm keeping the films that matter to me. Films I believe will be like an influence to my own work and films that I am curious about. I think that's what excites me most about like 
collecting is that there is a, an aspect of curiosity to it where you you make those blind buys where you're like, oh, that sounds cool. I've never heard of that before, but it sounds cool. And to me, the most important thing about film and is and being a cinephile, if you will, uh, a registered <laughs> cinephile like I am, where I had to go door to freaking door, telling my neighbors, if you hear someone screaming, I'm watching freaking Psycho, dude. I'm nothing <laughs> untoward is going on. Nothing I untoward. I just love movies, and I have to let you know that's my whole and, deal. And, no, you, that that's a lie. There's a slight wrinkle to that. <laughs> it is if you hear screaming, I'm watching the Psycho remake, and I can't yeah, bear it. I, I cannot bear it. it. It makes me sick what happened to Gus Van Sant during that movie. I don't know what he did. It sickens me and I kind of dig it. I'll be honest. I kind of dig what he did with it. Uh, But it's all about that sense of discovery for me. And it's like making those blind buy purchases because you're like kind of hooked in at like there's a curation out there of not just your own collection, but by uh, the distributors and the labels that are curating them and curating that experience. And I like being hooked into that. And there's been so many great films that I've discovered uh, over the years through collecting. And yes. I I think that's why we want to come together and do this because we're very excited that Australia now has its own. And you and I probably spent freaking countless dollars importing oh. stuff and having to be on the search online rather than having like that tactile feeling of going outside like the small boutique stores uh, like record shops and stuff that do stock your Criterions and your Arrows and your Eurekas and uh, it's cool that we have our own ones that have freaking slip covers that have a freaking spine <laughs> number on the side uh, that have bonus features the spine number is as, as exciting as it gets mm. but I think one thing that you and I have experienced and this is, would be exactly what you would have had in that Mondo store like in Annandale is at 16 is when you walk along and there are really carefully curated collections like an emerging imprint or like a Criterion or a Canopy or an Arrow, as you talk about, it's like there's something that is about the entire package and the visual is a huge part. Like when you're a huge consumer, it's like it grabs you on the shelf and that inflames your curiosity. Like, oh, this is good. And so many times like people like get annoyed at it and they meme the living Dalits out of it when there's just like terrible formulaic movie posters and things like that. Like, you know, one of my favorite dumb ones of a movie that I really enjoy is like the movie Joe Carnahan's The Grey. Like it is a really cool movie and there's such cool fan art out there. The poster is Liam Neeson's face in yeah. the snow. Like who gives a shit, Liam Neeson? Uh, and your hello, face- remember the wolves? Huge part of that movie. <laughs> Chuck a freaking wolf <laughs> glistening in his eye or something. <laughs> Airbrush a wolf a- onto him. If 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 you're in the feedback session, it's like if there is not a glistening eyed wolf on this poster, get it out of here. I don't I don't want to hear but so what I'm super excited about is that is like there is, you know, imprint as a label is has got a whole variety of different films but i think it's such an important thing like you said to keep curiosity like the best and 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 alexi's archive stands a a testament to this is the best collections are those that like every time you look at them there's like 10 things that jump off every shelf that you just want to pick up and put on. Like you want to touch it. You want to reach in there. You know, some of the great criterion collections and some of the international collections like canopy or arrow, like some of them have these amazing monographs that come with them. So you can read great essays about it or photos from the films you love. And it's just like every single one, not only has amazing transfers, has the best versions, has the best interviews, has the best commentaries, but it's just like these things that you can have and curate and keep 
and and keep revisiting. And I love what you said. It becomes this like collage of who you are and all of your influences. And, and yeah. that's really important to me to have on my shelf when I'm, you know, searching for that inspiration. And I would say also for people like you and I that like work in creative industry as well in creating things is that for me as like someone that works in TV and film and works in podcasting, when I'm making something, uh, it's so easy for me to go like, hey, I want it to sound like this or I want it to look like this and then hand them a copy of like freaking Mishima <laughs> or something or Les yes. Samurai and just be like, this is what I want it to look like. This is what I want it to sound like and just hand that to like my cine or hand that to like my composer and then they can just be like, oh, I get it. I've got this version oh. of it and I can, I can fully embrace it. I don't have to try and find it online or something or try and like get a dodgy copy from somewhere. I've got like the best quality version that has been lent to me by a beautiful boy called Alexi Toliopoulos. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of that beautiful boy, oh boy, do we have a beautiful first batch mm. of imprint films for you to experience. And we're, we're a little bit overdue because this has now been released since May. But you guys listening to Imprint Companion are going to hear Alexi and I talk about everything that is out on every batch, hopefully just before the batch. So you're, you're going to hear retroactively about the May batch. We're mm-hmm. going to preview the August batch. And then very shortly, we're going to have all five in yes. that. And then we're also going to preview the October batch in the August episode, which is the biggest one and most probably most exciting one Insane. yet. So, it's good. so you're going to Insane. hear from us. We're going to have, if you're listening to this, you might be listening to it on One Hit Minute Productions. You might be listening to it in the Total Rubric feed. We're going to put the um, uh, the episodes up on our feeds, but there will be an imprint companion feed as well, which you can subscribe to. So for you pure collectors out there, you obsessives, we want to know what you think. Mm-hmm. We these, these are the people who listen to the show. I really want to be contacted to hear if the transfers are good. I yes. really want to know if there's if, if someone has seen in another thread that there is a transfer out there that you know that, that it could be better. I want to hear about how good the sound is. I want to hear mm. about what people think about the special features. I want to hear if they like the slipcase art or if they like the DVD cover art, the, oh, sorry, yes. the Blu-ray cover art. I want to hear from you because uh, I think that this is exactly who the show is made for. We are mm-hmm. one of you and we're excited to talk to you. Yeah, we so are. Shall we dive into discussing the first batch from May, the May releases of Imprint, starting with Spine Number One. And this is an interesting one to talk about. This is a classic film. Spine Number One is H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. This could be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. And this is, of course, the 1953 adaptation of it, not the Spielberg one, the classic original one. And it is directed by Byron Haskin. Had you seen this movie before? I had seen it. It's funny. Like, I'd done a science fiction cinema course at university that we chopped up different War of the Worlds, so I'd only seen it in clips. But I got to finally watch this as a whole thing before we chatted about it. And what struck me was, man, I know you said it wasn't Steven Spielberg's, but despite how different it is and Spielberg's being like a huge allegory for basically terrorism in the modern era, he borrows a hell of a lot of the structure of the 
his movie from this movie. Like even set piece to set piece and setting to setting and just how people are dealing with it and and how like the international response doesn't really seem coordinated. It was a it was a really it was a really funny slice of like, you know, for a movie that's made in 1953, kind of like a American and Soviet and international solidarity when you're faced with this huge threat. It was like a really cool, weird thing. Have you have you been a fan of the War of the Worlds series in sci-fi, Lexi? I have been a big fan of it for quite some time. I remember reading the book in, I think, early high school. Yeah. Uh, but I think what I was really interested in, especially as like people, you and I that work in audio, uh, that classic Orson Welles, now legendary uh, radio play adaptation of this, that I don't know how true it is. I don't think it's that true that Orson- It's the the apocryphal tale that everyone who's ever done radio gets excited about, that Orson Welles performed H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds on the radio and people started calling the police because they thought that they were actually experiencing an alien invasion because it was so rapturous. They thought they were listening to an actual news report about (laughs) aliens invading, but I think it is apocryphal, like you said. I don't believe it's true, but it is a stellar piece of audio dramatization that I adore and it's very exciting to see that it is on here as well yes yes it is on here I gave it a little preview as well I'd heard it before but I just want to see it on there and just like experience it on like my great sound system as well (laughs) and I had seen this version probably in high school as well we had like a dodgy DVD of that Mondo movies was nothing to write home about Uh, but I remember always liking this version because I liked the bleakness of the text of this film like the 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 plot uh the characterization the stakes i think it's a, a terribly bleak movie that ends in kind of like a hopeful position but i like the juxtaposition of that with like this incredible colorful technicolor uh like pristine almost visuals of it and i think yes. that the transfer that is on this like 4k restoration is freaking phenomenal to see yeah. a movie like this from this era, uh, especially like you know, kind of like this is a this is a more high end B movie than some of the other ones that we might talk about in this. So you do expect this one to have some sort of like archival care applied to it, but to see it look like this is kind of breathtaking. Yeah, the the blend. What struck me was the blend of like you can't fake huge army cannons firing off in the 1950s. You can't fake it. So, like, they get all this artillery fire and then it cuts to these incredible miniatures that are staged in a great way. And there's a couple of those, like, clunky moments where it's, like, switching between the miniatures and that and it doesn't quite work. But, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I loved seeing everyone in, in a lot of science fiction movies. Maybe it's just, like, our era. It's like you tend to have this feeling in your mind that like oh this is exactly you know it's it's going to be hyper stylized but it's going to have a lot of political undercurrents and in 53 the tensions between the soviet union and the cold war and the iron curtain like none of that had like solidified yet so it sort of feels like you know this is peacetime and no one really like there's no suspicion of like that that it's happening and i really loved that version of america like you know oh we wave the white flag you know they know that means we're we're in peace you know we're in peacetime and so then Bang. As soon as this thing turns on its head, it's so wonderful. And it's actually like, I love, you know, you might, if you do love the modern um, War of the Worlds, one thing you can't say with Janusz Kaminski is that it's colorful. I did love the color in this movie. It's so rich. 
restored in 4K from the original negative. It's absolutely stunning. Um, should we jump into, I know you've already mentioned, we talked about the print and we talked about um, uh, the Orson Welles radio um, uh, uh, as a special feature. Can we talk about some of the other special features? Because I think that some of the geeks here are going to love Spine Number 1 um, exactly for this. I think that Spine Number 1 is a really significant film to kick things off with, and it's a significant release. It is, uh, there are incredible speech, special features on this, including one of the audio commentaries that I haven't listened to yet, but seeing who is talking about this movie gets me really excited uh, for <laughs> yeah. the second audio commentary by in quotation marks, the fans, which include Joe Dante, the director of Gremlins and Matinee and so many other classic like genre pictures. Then we've Amazing. also got uh, Bob Burns, who is kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, iconic like archivist producer he yes. is kind of like the iconic fan that you would say <laughs> yes. of these things. Yes. And also, of course, um, Bill Warren is on there. And those are the kind of people, this is a kind of special feature that you want on one of these things. Like when I think about the auto commentaries I listen to, it's not always just, I want to learn from the filmmaker themselves. Sometimes like you want a bit of companionship. Sometimes you want, sometimes you want Ben Affleck some, yeah. in the Armageddon commentary and that, that turns commentaries on its head and tells you exactly. how insane Michael Bay is. And, and also sometimes you want that, like, I, I really, I don't know about you, Alexi, but like, I have like the most perverse pleasure in an audio mm. commentary that is derailed by a tangent. Like someone yes. goes completely off book. And one of my favorites is there's a great thief commentary where James Khan abuses Michael Mann oh. for like not casting him in heat. He's wow. like, why didn't you cast me in heat? I was, you know, you're with my guys. And I'm like, I couldn't love that, that, I love like that. hitting him up like 20 years later. God, I hate to commentary. say it, but kick freaking John Voight out, chuck James Khan <laughs> in. Then Heat is a 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> uh, one of the commentaries that I adore is like this Blu-ray release of The Odd Couple that has the sons of Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. And I'm oh like, oh my God. It's really heartwarming. And I see a commentary like this where like these guys, uh, the classic film nerds that have gone on to be creators and to have gone on to like be people that preserve what classic genre cinema is to hear them talk about like one of the all time classics. It, it, it evokes the same resonance for me of like going like, that's yeah. what I want to hear. Sometimes you want a companion with you when you're watching a movie that is just smarter than you. And that is what <laughs> you're going to get. Um, amazing other stuff. So there's, there's actually, so let's go through the commentaries. There's an audio commentary by Barry Forshaw and Kim Newman. So that's the critic commentary. There's Gene Barry and Ann Robinson who give us a commentary, the fans commentary. Then you've got the making of um, World of Worlds called The Sky is Falling. You've got a featurette on H.G. Wells, the Mercury Theatre, um, War of the Worlds radio broadcast, theatrical trailers. And if you are lucky enough with imprint, and this is something that we can give you the hot tip on if you didn't realize it already, the slip cases that come with these incredible uh, with these incredible releases are actually limited edition. So if the first batch has the slip cases that are on the outside, the different covers. But if you're later on buying them from like an Amazon.com or like a, a, an online retailer, if you haven't bought them right in the batch or you haven't pre-ordered the batches, you're not going to get them. But the artwork is just stellar. The outside slipcase of War of the Worlds and the Spine one is incredible. It's, it's that an classic. It's the illustrated poster from like the original 1950s release, right? Absolutely. And then it's got a kind of um, sort of more kitsch uh, 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 
it feels like a more contemporary poster on that, but that, that fifties painted poster forms the outside and it's just, it's glorious. And I, and for, for us who are fans of obviously things like the criterion collection, a spine number, seeing what number one is seeing this an important movie and, and getting the full treatment is, is just a thrill. And it sets a precedent for like what this collection is going to be, that it's going to be honoring classics yeah with an esoteric twist because i think yes. that you know it, it, the easy way to start would be like oh spy number that is like a universal like classic movie i don't know i can't even think of like one would be but you know something like uh you know like your casablanca or um, citizen kane casablanca citizen kane, or something like maybe, jaws you know jaws, something yeah. that's like a more bigger well-known mainstream hit but this is like a iconic classic that has its place of significance in history, but it's a little bit esoteric, a little bit left of center. There's a little bit of discovery involved in it. And um, I think it sets them off with a good precedent that this is what this label is going to be doing. And uh, one other thing that I would note is that kind of concurrently to this release, Criterion also released a version of War of the Worlds. Yes. And they have similar special features. They have their source from the same negative, I believe, or they tra- yes. their transfer is from the same source. There is a slight difference in the colors. I think that in the version that we have, the Australian release from imprint that Mars at the start of the movie appears to be like blue tinged. And from the criterion release, Mars is more red tinged. I'm not sure what the original version of that is, but it's just kind of like falls down to your preference on that of like, where do you want to go with it? What is more convenient for you to purchase? I think both those releases are quite stellar. I do personally prefer the original art on the imprint one. I don't always go for the original art. I go yes. for whatever I prefer. And I do prefer the imprint art where it is like this original cover. I like the glossiness from the case here as well. Yeah, I think the slipcase, if I was picking my favorite art, and this isn't always going to be the case for every batch, but um, I really love the slipcase art on this one. Like this this, this makes it for me. Like if you if you don't have that original um, War of the Worlds art, it doesn't look as appetizing a purchase because it just doesn't feel like as iconic. But like I think that that, that Martian that Martian hand reaching from space down to like to, to this sort of um, happy um, un- unassuming couple down there, that sort of classic couple there. It's, it's just, it's, it's as iconic as it gets. Like it's a, it's a comic book splash page. Like you see it and you're like, yeah, I could, that I've got to give that a spin. I've got to get back to 53 and, and I've got to watch world of the worlds and, and all of them, you know, what, what are great about all of the world of the worlds as snapshots as you're listening is they're just lovely little snapshots of what's happening in that time. And so I think it's a really fun one. And I know some people have like gone down the ISO, like regret, doom scrolling version and like watch war of the worlds um <laughs> the, the spielberg one this is this wasn't nearly as uh, emotionally taxing it was actually just like super fun a super fun rewatch i think that with these b movies from this era there is like this inherent kind of like irony applied to them now when you watch them which makes them really enjoyable and i think we'll get to talk about that in a couple of spy numbers but let's move on to yes. spine number two which is sorry wrong number Don't pick it up. Let it ring. This call brings a message of death to the one who must answer it. A call that will plunge you into one of the most startling stories ever told. This is a film that I was not familiar with at all. It, of course, stars two iconic movie stars, Barbara Stanwyck and... Burt Lancaster. Anatoly Litvak is the director, and Anatoly Litvak directed... 
so he did the snake pit, he did the deep blue sea, the journey, like all in the 50s goodbye again. So he kind of does a lot of more like hard boiled like 1950s, late 1940s pictures. And this was not one that I was familiar with. And I might tell you this, this might be my pick of the batch because it offered me, it offered me that chance of discovery. And I do love a noir picture. And I do love kind of like those classic Hollywood movies that have a bit of a gimmick to it. And this one has like the most gentle of gimmicks where it is for the most part in set in the confines of one room. And I love a one room movie. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, which is like that split up of like, there's a com- there's a conversation that's just happening around the phone for so long, and then it splits off to be more police procedural film. That's one of my top ten favorite films of all time, and this kind of evokes similar feelings to me of like it's all around this phone call. It all like starts around like this switchboard, which is such like a cl- a classic thing that we don't really think about anymore in the modern world. But it was like such a like it's this classic imagery of what we think about when we think about like the 1940s, the 1950s uh, and how important like the phone was for conversation and connecting to people. And there's someone that's literally in control of that. And it's a, it's kind of like this tense thriller movie set in a bedroom where Barbara Stanwyck is, uh, she describes herself as an invalid who can't really move from her bed and she's trying to contact her husband and she accidentally hears of a murder being plotted. And as the film progresses, you realize like this is likely her murder and there is a strong chance that her husband could be the one that's involved. <laughs> and it's then takes time to give us some flashbacks to show her and her building her relationship building with her husband played by Burt Lancaster and that relationship falling apart and this is also based on a radio play by uh Lucille Fletcher is the writer who's yeah. fascinating yeah no, I didn't really know too much about it I went down the research rabbit hole because I love that for the second one in this batch, I love that there's a female, like there's a female writer, like it's screenwriter, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a top billing. Like I, I, I go, Oh, a female screenwriter. I just always tend to like go down the, the IMDB mm. rabbit hole and find out who it is. Lucille Fletcher not only had written, um, a bunch, a bunch of other stuff, uh, sorry, wrong number lights out. She was actually, and, and then the twilight zone in 1959 oh, was wow. one of the writers of the twilight zone. She's actually was married to Douglas Wallop and then Bernard Herman, the great, the great composer. composer. So, Mr. Taxi she, Driver himself, Bernard Herman, <laughs> Mr. Taxi Driver. Um, but like, it's an incredible thing. Also, I do have to say, in Oz, we don't. He's not as well known or like omnipresent in like uh, around the place. But Eddie Muller is Mr. Noir. Um, um, on Turner Classic Movies in the United States. And he's a terrific guy. You can find him online if you want to seek him out. You can see him on the Twitter sphere and things like that. But Eddie Muller is actually uh, the historian who introduces the film um, in the special features. So you you have um, Alan K. Road, who's a noir scholar, as one of the um, uh, commentaries who sort of talks around everything that's happening on the film. But there's just so many other great things, including, again, on the second list, a broadcast of the original radio play with the stars. I think this is actually not the, this isn't the original radio play. This is a weird thing that you never think about that this had already been a radio play, but we don't have like, we don't, we just don't have it anymore because it was just 
put out into this the ether. This is a radio play now. This is yeah, our radio play. <laughs> exactly. But then this happened a couple of years after. This is a 1950 recording with the stars of the movie, Barbara Stanwyck and Burt Lancaster. They got them in the studio to basically do a one-hour version of this thing that they'd to done do already for the screen. And so then there's great. one uh, that a radio play performance that was filmed uh, in 2009. So that is a version of this story that I believe is almost like a one-woman show. Yes. And I think that this, I, I really, I'm, ex- I got really excited about this movie. I think that I don't want to spoil too much because I think people might listen to this before getting into the movie as a bit of a preview. So I would just say that if you like classic noirs, if you like classic thrillers in kind of like that, not quite Hitchcockian fashion, but Hitchcockian in that they are location based, uh, yes. you will really enjoy this movie. And I think this movie has an absolutely exhilarating ending. The ending of this film, I was basically standing up with like what they were able to pull off with it. Well, we can't spoil. We can't spoil. Can't it's the spoil pick. it. All, all we can say is that out of the five firsts, Alexi has his pick of the litter. So that that's 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 number one. Let's jump quickly to so we've gone War of the Worlds, we've gone sorry wrong number, and let's jump into spine number three, which I it has to get an honorable mention of maybe my favorite viewing experience of this one because I watched it along. I hadn't seen it, um, but I watched it along with my wife and it was just such a treat to watch. I love watching sci-fi movies because you see different, you see a culture like showcase what it wants to be. And I just, I cannot tell you how much I loved sexed up America in I married a monster from outer space. A beautiful, innocent girl on her honeymoon. Her passionate dreams of perfect romance turned into a living nightmare. For this sweetheart she married, the man she had loved, was merely the hollow shell for the invaders from outer space. Bill! Absolutely divine 1958 film that's produced and directed by Gene Fowler Jr. and written by Louis Vitiz. And it's um it's it's so I I just had an absolute blast with this movie, Lexi. What is is this something you'd seen before? Have you seen this one before? I don't think I'd ever heard of this movie before, except for like, you know, it has like one of those titles that you see (laughs) popping up around. And I've worked in TV shows uh, like about movie trivia and stuff like that. And that has been, this has been one that the title has popped up as like, how silly is this title? Surely we can make a joke (laughs) about the title of this crazy 1950s sci-fi movie. Uh, So I'm only familiar in that sense. And it had kind of like I I I didn't know what to assume with this movie, but um, it is also I believe it was the B movie attached to was it Body Snatchers? Yes, yeah, yes. It, it was the B movie that was attached to Body Snatchers. And it is a B movie in the truest sense where like Body Snatchers has gone on to become Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The original movie has gone on to become like one of the all-time classic. One of the great movies. Don Siegel's movie. Yeah. Don, uh, Don, Don Siegel's movie. It's been remade countless times and the, and the premise has been remade. And, and, and again, just, just the pivot of only, you know, five years. And we're in the height of that sort of that wrestle, that ideological wrestle between sort of, capitalism and 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 communism and so you've got this like american sort of uh chess you know chest uh uh beating if you like in don siegel's movie in this movie 
I just loved it because the first thing I thought is like, and this is not to spoil the movie, but it's kind of body, sna- body snatcher-esque. Um, and, and what happens is there's a moment where these this alien race, they come down to Earth, they invade the bodies of a whole bunch of virile young men who are about to, in the process of courting a bunch of young women, yeah, a lot of them get em- married. They're embarking on their journey into <laughs> such and, alluring and, things as sexual intercourse and marriage. Oh, yeah, just marriage and intercourse and how quickly I can impregnate you. And one of the most endearing things I think almost in any movie I've seen, maybe in the last decade, is a bunch of alien like uh, aliens who are possessing their humanoids getting uber depressed that they can't impregnate the women of this planet and hanging out with the dudes having a few beers at the pub. Like, I just can't tell you the scene of the movie and maybe the scene of this entire batch is a bunch of, (laughs) a bunch of alien um, wearing their human hosts being depressed that they can't impregnate their wives. It's just a gloriously flaccid, beautiful moment. I think in all of the movies that we've watched. Truly. And I think that's what I like about these classic B movies where there actually are the B movie that hasn't gone on to become like an iconic classic. And I think there's a kitschness to a, to it that I really enjoy where they have this huge swing with like their thematic subtext where they're like this is the battle of the sexes this is communism versus capitalism this is I guess also now watching it's like this is uh, homosexual versus heterosexual as well and um, I I love the swing that these classic movies or from this kind of like B-movie period of like classic Hollywood these big swings that they go for and who's to say if they connect with the swing, but there is an entertainment factor to them is this value of them where you know that they know they're funny. Like you're watching this and the dialogue oh, yeah. is funny. There's full of jokes. They're full of weird characters that are like way too macho. And you know that they know that they're funny. And watching it now, I believe that there's like this beautiful irony that you can kind of apply to them where it's like this irony through sincerity of like really just enjoying this movie. And I love, I love people being passive in the face Mm. of like unbelievable shit. Like, and that's one of the fun things in war of the worlds is like a moment where one of the pods crashes to earth and like someone just like goes and hits it with a shovel. Like I love that. And this, and, and I married, and I married a monster from outer space has got so many of those moments. It's so loaded. And also just, you know, they are definitely taking a swing thematically. They're taking a swing technologically. They're trying yes. to see if the whole super, impo- you know, superimposing, um, dueling images to sort of show the transition between monster and alien, or to give you previews yeah. of like the alien inside its hosts and stuff. They're having a swing with it. It's not quite coming off, and I think that that's part of its charm too. We sort of talked about what's funny about it. I would say that the Blu-ray case cover of "I Married a Monster from Outer Space," like it. it for whatever you get is the and not the slipcase. The slipcase is the sort of classic poster. The slipcase is art, a classic poster. The new art, however, is as sexy as anything that is in this entire batch. This is the sexiest cover Absolutely. of this whole batch. It is glorious. Like I saw, I actually didn't realize it when we were when we were doing it. Like I didn't I didn't realize that that was what it was, and it actually mm. shocked me because I hadn't gotten to it in our list of yeah. watching all of these movies yet. And I saw it online, and I was like, "That is the damn sexiest cover." I'm gonna yeah. pick that up. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. And I was like, "Oh God, that is one that you might you might discard." The slipcase, yeah, and you might and you might keep that one on your shelf because it is so so sexy. It's very evocative. It's a very symmetrical image of the 
alien creature holding the bride uh, as she's kind of like incapacitated, but it also kind of evokes the image of like uh, the newlyweds being carried through the precipice, <laughs> the bride being carried yeah. through the precipice, cased in this like circle bubble-like uh, yes. image. And the symmetricalness of it all is amazing, but it is the colours of colors. this case oh, wow. that are astounding. It's these bright purples, these like really evocative dark greens. That yeah. the the colour balance between this, I think this might be like one of my like favourite covers of the year. And yeah, I'm easily. this is one where, like I wish this was a slipcover because I would want I would be having this one like <laughs> sitting flat on yeah, display. It- we may need to get you know. Remember, and 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 Alexi and I both come from ethnic uh, uh, ethnic yes. roots. This is one like when your nan used to have those photo holders, you know, like the frame holders, like that. You need one of those on the front of your shelf to just be like, I'm gonna rank the best covers of the year, and this is like this is like it. it I mean, it's gonna be a, it's a really uphill battle for almost anything, anything that is going else. on to beat it. It's 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 so good. And now because this is just um, so when we're talking about like pound for pound special features, um, I married a monster from outer, uh, outer space is just a 1080p transfer of the uh, pre- presentation of the film. So it looks great. It has a, an audio commentary for, um, from Barry Forshaw and Kim Newman as well. Great critics. A theatrical trailer, but a cr- critic commentary. It's, it is the, it is the lightest of the batch when it comes to that. Um, but, but it's uh, what it makes up, what it, what it lacks in that it makes up for in, in humor. Um, and, and, and kind of like probably just, it, it was one of the ones that I was, I was watching this at home and my wife like stumbled in the room and usually, usually she's like, oh, just some other, some other snobby cinephile trash that this guy is watching. And she stumbled in and she sat down and watched the whole of I Married a Monster from Outer Space because it was just like, it's so weird. It's so quirky. It's got this energy. It's brisk. Yeah, it's fast, man. Oh my god, what's so so fun watching an hour and eighteen minute movie? It's freaking. I awesome. love it. I would also say awesome. that the transfer on this one kind of left me quite astounded because yeah. this is not a movie that you'd heard of apart from like it's got a no. stupid, silly title. So it's like <laughs> yeah. you you don't you you can't imagine a movie like this that is this old and not an actual classic. Yeah, you don't anticipate that there's much care in archiving a movie like this, but no. the transfer of this, the visio presentation of this, is gorgeous in black and white. But it is pristine. It is so clean. It looks so good. It. I think that this is a, another big surprise for me. In this is like even comparing it to uh, Sorry Wrong Number, which is, I guess because it's got classic movie stars in it, it would have been looked after a little bit more. It's from Paramount. It would have been looked after a little bit more. Yes. But even comparing these two together, this looks incredible. It looks yeah. sensational. It's so crisp. It looks so uh, clean. It looks so smooth. The film grain on it looks incredible, but it looks so well taken care of. And what's so sexy is we've just talked about like one of the all-time sci-fi classics up, a, up, up alongside like a really underrated noir even though it's like a massive um you know a, a massive stars are in it and with the same level of care is i married a monster from outer space like i love that that like n- none of them because we're you know i don't know about you but like we we're kind of watching them all together none of these none of, none of these early in the in the first batch that we're watching like none of them i'm like oh the transfer sucks on this like it's it, like none of them have come to that point they all are very sexy um and and this one particularly yeah I, it's it's 
it's such a it's a movie that has a mood and i think this goes to the transfer is like the whole thing feels very noirish like it does feel like the whole the whole town is at night but it's kind of got this like bright noir elements to it because there's daytime things but the way that it's shot the angles that it's shot the mood that it's setting and everything it always feels like there's this simmering like weird underbelly and there's like dark stuff happening around the corner and so i i'm i'm yeah i'm i'm a bit like I love a movie that swings, Alexi. I lo- like even if it fails colossally, swing. Like, please don't be safe. Like, go ham. I want to see you go for it. And this movie can never be accused of not going for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, not not to spoil a movie that was actually made in 1958, but I I kind like I cannot believe that a movie exists where like a wife was kind of maybe also in love with like the parasitic host that was inside her husband and is now conflicted that he like her husband who's just been like sort of passed off for the entire movie is now back because she's kind of in love with the alien that was in there like I'm I'm so a fan of that this is like if Starman by John Carpenter was about a tapeworm (laughs) And that's what I like about this movie. That's a very evocative, romantic film. And now this is the tapeworm version of that. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. The tapeworm version of it. <laughs> and look, the, can we say the most vaginally faced alien monster of the batch? I mean, like something to look forward to of future releases. What can the most vaginally faced alien be? It's going to be hard-pressed to beat I Married a Monster from Outer Space. There's a lot of classic sake you can go there for that, so I pray that we see some of them in this collection. Uh, I think we're going to put a little pin in it there and we'll come back to you in the next episode, which will be out as you're listening to this. It is already out there right now, so you can jump straight <laughs> over to the next episode. We will be discussing spine number four, which is... Ridley Scott's The Duelist, and spine number five, which is Waterloo, starring Rod Steiger and Christopher Plummer, about freaking Napoleon Bonaparte, dude, not Dynamite, the original Napoleon. Uh, we will be talking about those on the next episode. In the meantime, if you want to hear more from Blake, you can head over to One Hit Minute Productions and subscribe to that feed for a bunch of great podcasts that Blake hosts and produce, including One Heat Minute, including Increment Vice. Uh, also, All the President's Minutes, which is the, the main show. Thank you, Alexi. And if you want to find out what Alexi's doing, you can go to the Total Reboot podcast. You can also, if you're a Patreon subscriber, go to the Total Respect feed, yes. um, which they deep dive <laughs> on actors. They are currently in the midst of a Nicolas Cage deep dive of all Nicolas Cage deep dives, which I think that they're just about to conclude. And then they are in the John Travolta deep dive, which uh, which I think is a marriage made in absolute heaven. Part of the Mike Check pod as well, which is um, saluting the one, the only, the great <laughs> Mike Myers. And so you can uh, subscribe to any and all of those feeds. And of course, Finding Drago. I mean, it's it's like finding Drago's out there. It's out there. It's out there. It's one. It's it's one of the greatest. One of the greatest Australian podcasts. Oh, one of the greatest so podcasts of all time. So you can find each of us there um, and find us on Imprint Companion. Man, this has been a blast. I can't wait to chat to you about Spines Four and Five, and most importantly, preview the next batch. August oh batch. gosh, I can't wait, Blake. I'm so excited that we're on this project together. Uh, it is going to be a blast to just talk freaking DVDs and Blu-rays until the sun goes down, which it already has because we're recording this at night time. And I will provide full disclosure, I am in my pyjamas, so there is only but a small layer of fabric between you, me, and I guess an entire city as well. We're both of us on different sides of the city, so it's not just one layer of fabric. I, I I think one layer of fabric... 
one layer of FaceTime. That's exactly how close we want to be to you. We want to be right in your ears. We are one slipcase away from you on this show. Oi, so that was the um, imprint companion, baby. Imprint companion with Alexi and Blake. Like, honestly, two of the best film boys. And if you like them and companions to imprints, I reckon um, you should probably subscribe to this. Hey, maybe like give it a review. I don't know. Chuck on a rating. Like, what else are you doing? Like, we have nothing else going on. We're all inside, slowly going mad. So, yeah, I don't know. Just love this for them. They really deserve it. And um, it's just great when, like, sweet film boys come together. Just fucking love to see it. 